I don't have any plexiglass up here, so Patty, I want you to watch out. Um, uh, be careful over here. People have asked me, you know, uh, what, what happens, you know, are we going to put up shields and stuff? And I said, we probably should because there's times when I catch my spittle going. It's, it's really the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel it today, may God bless you. <laughs> may He keep you. <laughs> may His face shine upon you <laughs> and give you peace today. Uh, if you've been watching online, I want to thank you uh, for your commitment to watching our services online. A lot of work has gone into those times, and uh, it's, been, it's been different. It's been hard. Uh, I was telling some people this weekend, uh, I've been preaching stationary for about two months. You don't realize how hard that is for me. And uh, I'm going to get my steps in, so I want you to stay awake as I walk. I might even come down and sit by you. I don't know. We'll see where the Lord leads us today. But I'm so excited to be in God's house with you today. And I'm so excited for those that are joining us online once again. Uh, what an incredible day this is. We have some things that we're planning as we continue to reopen and come back to physical gatherings. Uh, we want to be careful. We want to make sure we do this in, a, in an appropriate manner. And most importantly, we want to do it with the care and concern that Christ has for all of us. And so I want to thank our church board for their leadership and their guidance in this, uh, their prayer support, their wisdom. As we have made these decisions together, we continue to move forward together in this new day and age, and so I'm excited for that as well. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to a couple different places. We're going to be in Galatians as we get started, and then we're going to jump over to the book of Luke, and we're going to talk about a story in Luke uh, about this theme that we've been talking about for a couple weeks now, hope with redemption, hope with redemption. And what an incredible theme or thought this is. And I'm so glad that our kids are in here with us today. And all of our kids, we're all children, and we're so thankful for our mothers and our parents that have helped us to be here. But those children that are normally in children's church, we're glad you're here today. Thanks for coming to church. Some are more excited than others, but we're glad you're here, and uh, I'm glad you're here. I hope you got a little children's bulletin to fill out. There's some things to do while we're, while we're sharing God's Word with you today. I want you to pay attention to some of the words that I say. Do you have, um, if you don't have one, Pastor Alicia can get you a copy of one. Somebody, somebody who has one, would you just raise it up? Molly, would you help me real quick? At the top of that, what are the, what are the three words that we put up there? Hope, redemption, and love. I've already said these words many times, so kids, if you have one of those bulletins, make sure you're checkmarking or tallying how many times we say the word hope, redemption, and Pastor Alicia. No? I love her, so I had to say Pastor Alicia. You like how I did that? Yeah, that was good, right? She's shaking her head no, but... Uh, <laughs> No, uh, we're, we're glad you're here, and so I hope you can follow along, and we'll see how many people get the same number at the end of the service today and those words. So would you say them with me? Hope, redemption, love. Hope, redemption, and love. If you, if you leave here today and you don't understand why we're talking about hope, redemption, and love, then come see me later this week, and we'll, we'll have a little one-on-one -on -one, uh, small group session, and we'll make sure that we understand what God wants to show us today from His Word. 
we're using this underlying scripture that's going to guide us for a while. God's given me this theme of hope with redemption. And I want to share from God's word some stories that help us relate to this theme. And so the underlying scripture I want to share with us this morning is from Galatians chapter 1. And it's Paul's greeting to the churches in Galatia. And I want us to read this uh, this morning as we keep this thought in our mind going forward. Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading with verse number 2. Hear the word of the Lord this morning from Galatians chapter 1. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Amen. I want to review with us a, a few things. If you have your, if you received the bulletin that was on your seat there when you sat down, uh, there's some notes on the back side of that. You can follow along. If not, you can jot some down uh, there with you. I want, to, I want to give you three definitions that we shared a couple of weeks ago online, and I want to remind us of those definitions today. The first one is the word rescue. We see the word rescue in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture. To rescue means to free or deliver from confinement or violence. To free or deliver from danger or evil. To rescue. The, then the word redeem is, is a very similar word, the word redeem. Here's what the word redeem means from the dictionary. Redeem means to buy or pay off. To clear by payment to discharge or fulfill, to redeem. So we're going to free or deliver or we're going to pay back or we're going to make a purchase to settle something, to discharge it. And then finally, the word that we need to define today is hope. Hope. What is hope? Hope is to feel that something we desire may happen. To hope is to look forward to with great desire and reasonable confidence that something will happen. So I want to ask you this morning, where is your hope meter at today? I've given you a gauge there. You can see it from 1 to 10. How hopeful are you today? How hopeful are you? How how much do you have a, a desire for something that's out there Something that's maybe greater than yourself or something that you would like to see come to fulfillment, to be rescued or redeemed. How hopeful are you today? Would you just circle a number there? One through ten. One being, you know what, I really don't have much hope that rescue or redemption is going to happen. I really don't have much hope in what's going on in our world today. And so if I'm honest today, pastor, I'm going to be a one or a two. I don't really have a lot of hope today. Or maybe you're, you're, you're sitting there today and, and you're, you're experiencing this service and you're thinking, you know what, God has brought me through so much. The things that I had, had hoped for, the things that I had looked forward to are happening and my hope meter is beginning to rise. Somebody just say amen. 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 Maybe you're a seven, maybe you're an eight, maybe somebody's a ten today on their hope meter and you have, you have a feeling that what you desire will happen today. How full is your hope meter today? 
when our hope meter is low, then maybe we tend to hope that we can be rescued quicker. Maybe when our hope meter is low, we, we, the only hope that we have is that rescue will come. Do you feel that something desired, something that could be delivered from confinement or isolation, we have been delivered a little bit today to be here, delivered from the violence and the danger in our world? Do you feel that something desired may happen or be fulfilled today? Paul was writing to the churches in Galatia, and I think he's writing to us today for such a time as this, when he says, grace and peace to you today because of the God we serve through Jesus Christ will rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope today. You notice what he says there. He doesn't say he's going to rescue us from the present evil age according to how we feel it should be done. He says he will rescue us from the present evil age according to his will for us. So that begs the question, and I think many of us have asked this question, and I know I have especially this week as I continue to see the current events in our world and what's going on, and I think how can... God allow evil in this world to happen the way it's happening? How can God allow this to happen in our world today? How can it happen that people die innocent deaths because humanity is evil? How can God allow that to happen? It doesn't give me much hope in humanity when I watch the news this week. It doesn't give me much hope even... I told Pastor Greg this, I said, it's, it's hard for me even as a pastor, as a Christian, to know when to say something or when to be quiet, to when to stand up for an injustice or when to let our silence speak volumes. And I think it's, it's hard for us at times to sit there, and I, and I know I've asked this question, God, how do you allow this to happen today? How can we be hopeful that you're going to rescue us when we see what's happening in our world. And I want to tell you the good news today. This is so good. This is so good. This has changed my life over the last four weeks. This is so good. Why does God allow the evil to happen in our world today? This is why. Because God only allows things to happen because he wants to redeem those things. He wants to fulfill the good that can come out of this. God allows only that which he can redeem. Why does God allow racism to happen? Why does God allow murder to happen? Why does God allow evil to happen? Because he has a bigger plan. And his will is far greater than our understanding of what's going on in this world. Amen? That's good preaching. I know you've been out of practice, but come on. Somebody need to go get some chocolate milk and come back, some donuts, you know? Yeah, yeah. God only allows evil to happen because I believe he wants to redeem that in ways we've never seen it before. If I can be prophetic for a minute, can I take liberty to do that? I believe that God is allowing this to happen in our world today. Why? Because he wants us to rise above this in ways we've never seen happen before. 
I've seen memes on Facebook. I've seen messages. And I want you to know that when this is all over, my Facebook page is going to go away. I'm tired of it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Here's what I've seen. We're, in, we're, we're, we're watching history take place right now. Our kids and our grandkids are going to be reading about this in textbooks or online or however they do school in the next 10 years. I don't know. But they're going to be reading about this time because it's brand new. We're making history. And so if we're making history and living in this world today, I believe God's allowing it because he wants to continue to make history. And he wants to be known to the world in ways he's never been known to the world. Amen? And I believe that he can use you and he can use me to bring hope back into this world. Amen? Amen. God only allows that which he can redeem. God is not surprised by what's going on. He is right here with us. And I want us to, I want us to see some parallels from Scripture today from another, another man in, in the Bible that we can look to, his life, and we can see some things that we can learn from and we can grow from as we see how he received hope with redemption and how we can understand and walk with him in these stories. So I want you to turn over to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be uh, primarily, but I want to just give you some ideas and some highlights of the man that is Peter. Peter, Simon Peter. You see, we all have moments in our lives where we can look back on it. Maybe you've even shared some of these memories as you've gathered around the table with your family in recent weeks, or you've shared stories with friends, um, and you've shared some of those mountaintop experiences that you've had in life. Uh, we've been able to share stories and reminisce and talk about different things. And I don't know about you, we could all, if we had time today, we could go around the room and we could talk about, man, what is, what is a mountaintop experience you've had in your life? Maybe, maybe for you, uh, if, you were, if you were athletic or you played sports, maybe you hit the winning shot. And you have a story that you can tell that just made you feel so good. I have a story, believe it or not, when I was playing sports that, that I played football for a little bit, and um, I, was, I was fast, and I was, I, was, I was quick, but I was small, so I got hit. When I got hit, I flew. That's kind of how things worked in my world in football. But I played defensive back, and I remember a highlight for me playing defensive back was one time we were playing the best team in the city in Pueblo, Colorado, and we were playing, and it was coming down to the end, and we were actually winning, and it was, it was a great game, and we were excited, and our fans were, were up, and it was, it was intense, and it was coming down to the last seconds of the game in the fourth quarter, and they started driving the ball down the field. And I'm playing defensive back, and they're, they're running the ball. Their running back was twice the size of our lineman, it seemed like. We couldn't tackle him, and it was just a tough deal, and he was fast. And anyway, it was getting toward the end. It was less than a minute to go in the game. And we knew what was coming. They were going to give it to this running back again. He was going to go to our weak spot in the line, and he was going to run, and he was going to go until somebody was able to or many people were able to drag him down. And I remember the play. I was over on the opposite side, defensive back, and they handed him the ball, and he starts to run to the opposite side. I knew my guy wasn't getting the ball, so I just took off running. And he got through the first line of defense and the second line, and he gets into the secondary, and all he can see is the end zone and the game being over, and he's going to be celebrating. And then all of a sudden, here comes scrawny little B.J. Thielander running like this. And I grabbed, this is before it was illegal, 
I was so small, but I grabbed him by the collar and I just ripped him down. His momentum took him down, but I made the game-saving tackle. Some of you should be excited. Come on now. Your pastor made the game-saving tackle. Thank you, thank you, yeah. But that was a highlight for me. I enjoyed that. That was, a, that was a great moment in my sports career. One tackle. That's what my season stats showed that year. No, uh, but it was a big tackle. But maybe for you it wasn't sports. Maybe for you, maybe it's in your workplace. And maybe in this, we've got some frontliners here today. Maybe it was that time that you saved the life. Maybe it was the time that you gave the care that led to the cure. Maybe it was the skill you taught to the child. Maybe it was that light bulb moment where mother and child or father and child, something finally clicked. You were able to put that smile on your face and had a proud parent moment or grandparent moment. We've all had those highlights in our life. And I want to talk about some of Peter's highlights in his life, a couple of his highlights. The first one I want us to see this morning comes from the book of Matthew, is where the story that I want to retell to you. I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but you can go back to it, Matthew 14, and read this story about when Peter walks on water. You all probably remember this story. Jesus has been ministering, and the disciples have been following him, and Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat, I want you to go to the other side, and I'm going to go away, and he, he went off to pray in one of the accounts, and so he goes off to pray, and I can't imagine what they were thinking at the time to think, well, he'll probably just take an Uber and come catch up with us, and we'll get there, and it'll be fine. There's, there's no Ubers back then, those of you that are still waking up this morning. Um, but Jesus sends them off, and they go off, and, and they're on the boat, and they're going to the other side of the lake, and, and there's, the waves start to build, and, and Jesus, the Bible tells us, Jesus begins to go to them. Jesus is not in an Uber, he's not in a boat, he's literally walking on the water. And one account we read, he is actually getting ready to pass them. He must be walking pretty fast. But he's getting ready to pass them and they see this, this figure out on the water and they, they get scared. They think it's a ghost, they get scared of what's going on and, and all of a sudden as it gets closer, somebody yells out, it's Jesus, it's our Lord. And Peter... Bold, brash Peter sees his Lord in the water. And he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. I want to walk on the water too. And, and Jesus says to him, Peter, it is I come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water to Jesus. How many of you have ever walked on water? I won't. I, yeah, I won't, I won't ask the story. I won't ask the story. <laughs> yeah, but Peter walks on the water. But did you realize that Peter's the only one that got out of the boat? Peter's the only one. Peter's the only one that got to shore and said, hey, guys, I walked on water. How about you? Nobody else. But something happens to Peter as he's walking on the water. And I think it happens to us too. We can be in a mountaintop experience and then in the very next moment find ourselves in the lowest point. And Peter is walking to his Savior, his Lord, and he's on the water and nothing else matters. But then he realizes there's a storm going on around him. Have you ever been there before? 
You have your eyes fixed on Jesus, and then all of a sudden you realize, boy, I got problems. And we start looking around. And Peter begins to sink. And, the, and I, I, I'm reading a little bit into the scripture here when it says this. If I would have expected Jesus to just reach down and grab him right away because that's one of his dear friends. But the Bible tells us something different. The Bible says that Peter cried out to Jesus for help. Peter cries out to Jesus and the Bible says that immediately Jesus reached down and pulled him out. Isn't this a cool picture? I asked my wife if I could buy this picture. To, I'm going to hang this in my office. This is, this is a picture showing Jesus on the water, reaching down to pick us up out of our problems, to rescue us, to redeem us, to give us hope, because guess who's on the scene? Jesus is on the scene. I can just imagine if I was Peter and I'm looking up at that hand and that face, what relief that would have brought me. Maybe you're in that moment right now. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing that moment where you can't seem to see Jesus. All you see is the storm around you. And he's waiting for you to cry out to him and say, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. I need you to redeem my life. I need you to give me hope. And Jesus wants to reach down. And he wants to pull you out. What an incredible picture that is of hope with redemption. Let's look at another one of Peter's highlight moments. In Mark's gospel, chapter 8, Peter, Jesus has just fed the 4,000. And he's done many different miracles. In Mark's gospel, you read miracle after miracle after miracle. And again, Jesus is busy doing ministry. And in this second highlight moment, Jesus gets done feeding the, the people. He gets done doing the ministry, and he's alone with his disciples. And he says to them, he says to them something very important. He asks them a question. He says, guys, who do the people say that I am? You remember this story? I don't think Jesus needed attaboys. I don't think he needed praised up. But he had a purpose in what he was asking. And Jesus asked his disciples, he says, guys, who do they say that I am? And they start giving him answers. Some say Elijah. Some say another prophet. Some just don't know. They just think you're this cool guy that does really cool tricks and they're going to watch you and follow you. And that's pretty cool. And I think probably some of those disciples felt that way. And yet Jesus, he then turns the question on them. And he says to them, okay, but who do you say that I am? You've been following me. You've been living with me day in and day out for quite some time now. Who am I to you? And Peter has a highlight moment. Peter declares with such boldness and passion, Jesus, you are the Messiah you are the savior of the world. You are the one we've been waiting for. And Peter declares it. And Jesus says to Peter, what a highlight moment. He says, Peter, you are right. And this was not revealed to you by human eyes or human understanding, but by the spirit of God. And Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Wow. Talk about a highlight moment. 
when the Savior of the world looks at you and says, I'm going to build my church upon your faith and upon your leadership and upon your willingness to understand what I'm saying to you. Peter has a highlight moment and says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. But if you're reading in Mark's gospel, this transaction takes place. It's a mountaintop experience, I can only imagine. And then just a little while later, Jesus goes on to start telling them some more things and teaching them like a good leader does. He's giving them a teachable moment. He starts predicting his death again. And I can't imagine it was more than 30 minutes later. I don't know for sure, but I'm just, I'm just imagining the timetable here where Peter has just declared Jesus as the Messiah. Now Jesus is teaching him, yes, I'm the Messiah, and because I'm the Messiah, I'm going to go to a cross, and I'm going to pay a, a penalty that's a penalty for you and your sins, and I'm going to die on a cross, and I'm going to be raised to life. And Peter, bold, confident Peter, who's just been anointed as the great Peter, the rock, <laughs> goes from the mountaintop to the valley in a matter of moments. And he says, Jesus, you aren't going to die. And if you look at Mark's gospel, chapter 8, it says, Jesus looked at the other disciples. In other words, this was a public, teachable moment for Peter. And he looks at the other disciples, and then he looks back at Peter, and he says to Peter, Peter, get behind me, Satan. For you are not seeing things from God's point of view. You are only seeing them from your understanding. Mm. Get behind me, Satan. One moment, Peter, you are the rock I am going to build my church on upon your faith. And the next moment, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have a clue. Wow. Have you been there? Have you been there? God, I love you with everything. I will do anything for you. God, I want to be your servant. I want, to, I want to be used by you. God, I'm fully surrendered to you. Well, I want you to go and do this. Nope, sorry. Got to work. Mm. Have you been there? We go from a mountaintop to a low point, And we see some of Peter's low points. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus predicts his death. Peter says, you're not going to die. Peter was looking at things through his own understanding, his own strength, his own human perspective. I don't know about you. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're like me. You wouldn't describe yourself as a pessimist. You would describe yourself as a realist. Is there anybody out there that's a realist today? A couple of us. How many of you need me to open the altars so that you can come and ask for forgiveness? Boy, this is tough. I thought you guys wanted to be in church today. Man. So when we're realists, when, when we think about things in our own understanding, there's times in my own life where I'll rationalize it as saying, I'm just being real. But in reality is, is that I really don't have a lot of hope in the situation. And I think of things and I think, you know what, God, how are you going to redeem this? How are you going to rescue this? This is not going to be good. And that, that comes across as negative. It comes across as not trusting and it, it's a real low point for us. 
Those of us that have been in that, in that place, we try to see things in our own strength, and our own understanding. And so many times we try to answer life's questions with our own experiences and understanding rather than looking to the one who's got the answers. And it puts us in a low point in our life. It puts us in a place where we're depending on ourselves rather than looking to God to rescue us, to help us. Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. Another low point for Peter comes towards the end of Jesus' life and ministry. And Peter is asked to go with Jesus into the garden. Jesus knows his time on earth is about over and he goes to pray and he takes his disciples with him. Judas has already gone to get the religious leaders to come and to find Jesus and arrest him. And Jesus is out in the garden and he's praying and Peter's one of his inner circle and Peter is close to Jesus at this moment. And the, and the, the crowd comes to arrest Jesus and this is one of Peter's low points. But you know the story and how the story goes as the guards come and they're, they're carrying swords and they're carrying, they're carrying torches and they're carrying clubs and to arrest Jesus. And Peter just whips out his sword and he goes to defend his Savior and he cuts off the ear of one of the guards. And Jesus, I can just imagine Jesus being like, Peter, come on, man. What are you thinking? And in the midst of Jesus being arrested, Peter has just been bold. He's been courageous. He's been, dare I say, stupid. Cuts off the ear and Jesus, in the middle of being arrested, picks up the ear. Again, I'm only imagining because I think this story is so real and so, so good. I can imagine as he's picking up the guard's ear, looks at Peter and says, silly Peter as he heals the guard that's about to arrest him and mends his ear right in front of his disciple. How foolish can you feel when Jesus has to come and rescue you in those moments of, of low points, of these moments of feeling like you just didn't do what you were supposed to do. Jesus heals the man right there. But I want us to talk about one of Peter's lowest points in his life. And that's when Peter denies Jesus three times. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 54 to 62, I want to read this to you. It's not on the screen. I apologize. That's my fault. But I want to read this to you from God's Word from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 54. Hear the word of the Lord from, from Luke's Gospel. Then seizing him, they laid him away and took him into the house of the high priest. They're talking about Jesus. They've, he's been arrested. They're taking him now. They've taken him off to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. And she looked closely at Peter and she said, this man was with Jesus. But Peter denied it. He said, woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. Peter replied, man, I am not one of them. About an hour later, another asserted, 
person came through and said, certainly this person was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. (laughs) Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Three times. He's in the courtyard. Jesus has told him earlier, before the rooster crows, Peter, you're not going to death with me. You're going to deny you even knew me three times. Peter's bold. He says, no, I won't, Lord. I will go and I will do everything and I will die for you. And now Peter's sitting there at the courtyard as Jesus is up in the room getting ready for trial. Denies him three times the rooster crows and Peter hears the rooster and recalls those words and as he looks up and disgusted himself. Jesus is looking him in the eye. Have you ever failed somebody so bad and they happened to be right there when you did it? Can you imagine the guilt and the shame the need for rescue that Peter was feeling. He's just disowned his Savior and Lord right in front of his face. The biggest failure of Peter's life in many people's eyes. But the story is not over. The story of Peter's life doesn't end with his failure You see, Jesus believed in Peter. Jesus had hope for Peter. Jesus knew God was going to use Peter still. And just as we sang before in that new song, The Blessing, He is for you. God is for you. God was for Peter. And He wants to do something mighty in your life. He wants to do something just like He did in Peter's life. He wants to give you hope. He wants to rescue you from that shame and that guilt. You see, we have hope today with redemption because of God's word and because of his love for us. Amen? Why do we have hope with redemption? I want to point out two very quickly, quick things here, and then we're going to wrap up. Luke twenty two sixty one says this. We just read it. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the Lord, the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. You see, Peter failed. He needed rescue. He needed redeemed. He needed hope with redemption. And we see just earlier that Jesus told Peter about this very situation. He told him what was going to happen. I don't know that Peter understood it. One, because I don't, didn't fully understand it until recently. But we've got to turn back a few pages in Luke's Gospel 22, verse 32. Even before Peter did this, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says to them, the devil, Satan, is scheming against you guys. He's scheming against you. He wants, 
He wants you to be like the chaff of the wheat that you're just going to be blown in the wind once I'm gone. He is scheming against you, but this is what Jesus said to his disciples, and Peter's one of them. He says, I prayed for you. I prayed for you because I know that the devil is after you. And here's what we read in verse 32. But I prayed for you, Simon Peter, that your faith may not fail. Here's the key word. you got to get this this morning. Somebody needs to hear this today. And when you have turned back, Peter, strengthen your brothers. Peter's at the courtyard. He's just denied Jesus three times. He's at the bottom of his life, and he looks up, and he sees his Lord looking down at him. And I believe that it didn't take Peter long to lose the disgust and remember this promise. As Jesus, looking down on his disciple with love and compassion, has told Peter, Peter, yes, you've just failed me. But when you come back, strengthen those around you. Wow. Strengthen those around you. When you come back, Jesus knew. I don't know about you, but I got to personalize that. Maybe I'm the only one here that's ever blown it. I hope so. But I've blown it pretty bad at times. And there's times where I felt like I just needed to grovel on my knees and beg for forgiveness and turn back. And I'm so glad that Jesus, full of love and compassion and hope, can say to all of us today, hey, BJ, when you fail, there's going to be a time. When you come back to me, strengthen those around you. Mm. Insert your name there. Hey, Andy. When you come back, strengthen those around you. Hey, Delbert, when you come back, strengthen those around you. Isaac, when you come back, strengthen those around you. I'm praying for you. I, I trust you. I have hope in you. I want to redeem you. I want to rescue you. I know you've had mountaintops and I know you've been in the valley, but guess what? I want to use you. We have hope with redemption because Jesus believes in us. <laughs> and then we come to the present day. I don't know if you heard or not, but it's Pentecost Sunday. This was a time when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples in that upper room. And, and I think this is very neat, and we need to see this, because we, this is where the transition in title comes. And again, I believe this is for us today as well on Pentecost Sunday. You see, Jesus had told his disciples, a disciple is a follower of somebody else. 
That means they were following Jesus. They were living life with him. They were following his teachings. They were learning about what Jesus wanted them to do. They were followers. And they go up into the upper room as followers of Jesus. Disciples in the upper room. And Jesus goes away and the Holy Spirit falls on that upper room. And in that moment where the Holy Spirit's power fills them afresh and anew, they change from being followers of Christ to being apostles of Jesus Christ. And an apostle is somebody who's sent forth with a message. You know what's so cool about this story is that Jesus or God or whoever gave the instructions didn't say, go to the upper room, lock the door, I'm going to give you my spirit, and then I want you to stay right there in that room for the next 3,000 years and see how many people you can fit in that room. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to fall on this place. My power is going to be so great on you that it's going to be, it's going to be something you've never experienced ever before. But you can't sit still. You are now no longer a follower. I need you to be a leader. Amen? Boy, I wish this really could apply to us today in 2020. Man. Maybe, maybe God's saying to us today on Pentecost Sunday, we came into PCN as followers of Christ today. We came in because this was our church home. We came in because we know we could meet with him here because the Holy Spirit was going to fall fresh on this place. And then we're going to send out a message over Facebook and call everybody to get here, get here, get here, because we're going to try to cram 25,000 people in this room because that's what Jesus wants. No. You came in as a disciple of Christ, but I believe Jesus is saying to us today, I need you to go as an apostle, somebody who's been sent with the power of the Holy Spirit to give somebody else Jesus Christ, amen? amen. To give somebody else hope with redemption, to give somebody else your, your low moment because God can turn it into a high moment and they can see the love of Jesus Christ, amen? Wow. God wants to use you. When you come back, strengthen those around you. Well, guess what? They left the upper room. They are now apostles. And right away, they're confronted. Right away, they're confronted. And guess who stands up to take the mic? Peter. And Peter comes out of that upper room with the power of God in him. And he preaches boldly the love and the power of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness and the hope that he offers. And Peter goes and preaches his first ever sermon. And 3,000 people get saved. Wow. I'll help you, okay? Woo! Praise the Lord. My first sermon was about 30 seconds long. And I sat down and I felt like I was looking up at Lord saying, Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I've let you down. He says to me, BJ, I need you to go and give the world my love. 
my hope, my grace. Go and preach with boldness God's love. Go and lead and be Christ to somebody else. It's Pentecost Sunday, and it isn't just Peter that gets the mic today, amen? You get the mic today. And God is saying to you today, I've given you my spirit. I've given you hope with redemption. I can help you. I believe in you. You see, God is our hope and our redemption. God loves you. Somebody needs to hear that today. He loves you. He wants to rescue and redeem you. He wants to turn your life around. And he wants to lead your life. Amen? God doesn't need a pilot in your life. (laughs) He needs you to let him lead you. Because he loves you. And he can redeem us and rescue us. So I don't know where you're at today. If you need to be freed or delivered from confinement or violence or danger. If you need to be rescued. I don't know if you need to be redeemed. Maybe you've been living your life for yourself. And you've been living in sin and God can redeem you. He's paid the price for you. The ultimate price for your sins. He's paid it already. He can redeem you, give you a hope that what you desire is going to happen. And Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, and I believe he's writing to us today as well. To the churches in Galatia, to the churches in Pittsfield, to PCN, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue and redeem you from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you choose today to focus on the hope and redemption that we have through God our Father? in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't know what number you circled this morning on your hope meter. Maybe you came in here encouraged because we were gathering together for the first time in a while. So your hope meter was fairly high. Or maybe you were still struggling to to be focused on the storm around you, that your hope meter was pretty low, wherever you are at on that meter today. God can help you to increase your hope because he wants to rescue and redeem us. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father God, you are so good to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. But God, today we thank you for the hope that you can give us because you want to rescue and redeem us from an evil world, not because you want to remove us from it, 
but because you want us to lead in it. God, help us to be your beacon of light in this dark world as we leave this place today. We love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Have a great day.